Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 o'clock. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is October 23rd, 2023. I'm Daryl Rakoff with Raven News. The Sitka School Board once again has a full elected membership. New members Tom Williams, Phil Burdick, and Steve Morse were sworn in by District Executive Administrative Assistant Don Georgia last Thursday night. And that I will faithfully and impartially discharge my duties as a member of the Sitka School Board as a member of the Sitka School Board to the best of my ability. To the best of my ability. All right, thank you. And you can sign your oath. That's also taking oath of office was student representative Felix Myers, who will be serving a second year on the board. The board then organized itself in one ballot for each office. They named Tristan Givon as board president, Todd Gebler as vice president, and Tom Williams as clerk. School liaisons were selected as follows. Tom Williams for Sitka High, Steve Morse for Blatchley, Phil Burdick for Kate Gushaheen, Tristan Givon for Pacific High, and Todd Gebler for Baranoff Elementary. In the uncontested municipal election earlier this month, Williams, Burdick, and Morse all took seats on the school board that were formerly occupied by women. District Superintendent Steve Bradshaw, attending via teleconference from Montana, stated the obvious. I have to tell you, though, guys, this is the first board I've ever worked for that was all male. So we, we may have some ego issues here going on or something before it's all opened up. Bradshaw's remark was tongue-in-cheek, as was the board's response. We know who the top dog is, the board said, pointing back to executive assistant Don Georgia. The first order of business for the newly seated board was to discuss how best to proceed with the search for a permanent superintendent to replace Steve Bradshaw, whose interim contract expires at the end of June next year. In a work session last Thursday, the board considered proposals from four different organizations interested in leading the recruitment effort with comparable base costs ranging from $10,000 to $17,000, board members did not see much to distinguish the four. One, however, the Alaska Association of School Boards, had performed this service for the district in the past. Todd Gebler served on the board during the last superintendent hire, and he said that made him lean toward AASB. Felix Myers thought AASB would be more likely to find an Alaska-based candidate who was willing to work in Sitka for some time. The number one priority is, as much as we can guarantee it, trying to get a consistency in that position. And I think that you're going to most likely find more consistency in someone who is from Alaska or has been working in Alaskan districts. Unlike many other jobs, the hiring of a school superintendent works on a timetable, for people already holding superintendencies elsewhere, evaluations happen in December and then contracts are offered in January. Board member Phil Burdick wanted to make sure that Sitka was on schedule to make an offer when the time came. We have been behind the timeline on so many searches and it has gotten us to where we are now. AASB can't start until the end of November because they're so busy with, you know, the ASB retreat and some things. So if we, if we want to actually start now, slash November 1st, AASB can't start for another three weeks.
Additional perspective came from the public. Board President Tristan Givan opened the work session to public comment, and Sitka Education Association President Mike Vieira offered this insight. Uh, one question I would have is how different is your process when you have a strong internal candidate? Vieira was referring to District Assistant Superintendent Deirdre Jensen, whom Bradshaw also described as a good prospect for the job. Vieira said it was important that whichever organization the board chose to lead the research should be able to recruit a high-level group of people, even when it was understood that there was a strong internal candidate. Since it was a work session, the board took no action on the matter. Members will select a recruitment firm at their first regular meeting in November. The Southeast Island community of Whale Pass is asking the state to pursue carbon credits instead of a nearby timber sale, but as Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, the state says it's going ahead with the logging project. Whale Pass has long opposed a nearby timber sale on state land. The state approved the project this spring to clear-cut nearly 300 acres of old growth on a steep slope behind the town. Residents say it's just too close. A clear cut right in, in the town, you know, directly in the backyard. James Greeley lives in Whale Pass and is a city assembly member. He says the project site is just 100 feet away from his property line. He says residents are concerned about many things, more exposure to wind, messing with the watershed used for homes, affecting salmon streams, and the community's growing tourist industry, the logging traffic and visual eyesore on the landscape. No one's really anti-logging out of this whole group. We're just kind of saying, you know, maybe not this timber sale is basically it. Residents have asked the state to adjust the boundaries, but were rejected. Now, the community is asking the state to reconsider the project and seek carbon offset credits instead. This follows a new state law that allows the Department of Natural Resources to develop a system to use the state's forested land to sell carbon offset credits. Companies would basically pay the state to keep its trees intact. Governor Mike Dunleavy, who introduced the bill, said it will generate new revenue for the state. Whale Pass's city assembly approved a resolution supporting carbon credits, and Greeley sent a letter to the commissioner of the Department of Natural Resources explaining their stance, that carbon credits would be much more profitable than the timber sale. The difference is, like, insane, really. He says the city worked with the Nature Conservancy of Alaska to come up with the profit estimates. It shows carbon credits, over time, could bring anywhere from about $1 to nearly $7 million, according to various market prices. The state's DNR says they do not have an estimate yet on how much the timber sale at Whale Pass will make. The project went out to auction on October 14th. Nature Conservancy spokesperson Amy Miller says... Carbon credit projects are a win-win. They create the opportunity for a community to preserve a resource that's important to them and also earn some money in the process. Despite the ongoing opposition, the state is moving forward with the project. No one from the DNR office would agree to an interview for this story. But in a written statement, Commissioner John Boyle repeated what the department has said before that the state's constitution mandates that the department uses natural resources on public lands. Boyle wrote that while carbon offsets present new opportunities, quote, regular timber harvests in our southeast state forest ensures DNR meets that mandate. 
The two main logging companies in Southeast have been asking the state for timber sales. The state's DNR blames the federal government for not supplying logging opportunities on federal land because of the roadless rule. In February, Greg Staunton, the state's area forester, told Coast Alaska that they have to provide old-growth logging near communities in some cases. A lot of the land base that we've been charged with managing here is in uh, proximity to where communities are. But Katie Rook says seeking a timber sale instead of carbon credits doesn't make sense. She's with the Southeast Alaska Conservation Council. She's seen the numbers and says it doesn't add up. What will pass sent the state definitively proves that this timber is worth more economically to the state itself if left on the stump. Brooks says there is also the value of leaving the landscape for the town, which is a subsistence community, something that Whale Pass residents were asking the state to consider. The state's response to this proposal, it reads um, angrily. It reads as if the state is, you know, penalizing its own town, town of Whale Pass, for the federal government's uh, lack of supply of timber. And that's unfortunate. Other communities and tribal governments on Prince of Wales Island have also voiced opposition to the project. The state says logging could start early next year, depending on the harvester's needs. Reporting for Coast Alaska in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. And that's Raven News for this hour. I'm Daryl Rakoff. It is 34 degrees here on the waterfront in Sitka at the moment, and the wind speed is calm. Wind speed is calm. That is good. Visibility 10 miles, and uh, it can be expected to be partly sunny today, then gradually becoming all sunny, or however you say that, with a high near 37, north winds around 10 miles per hour. Tonight in Sitka, clear with a low around 31, northeast winds around 10 miles per hour. <laughs> The morning interview's coming up. It'll be here in about 16 minutes after 8 o'clock, and we'll talk to uh, folks from the Sitka Food Co-op. It'll be fun. Some things happening in Sitka today. A human trafficking workshop is being held. Uh, Love Alaska, Priceless presents a faith-based workshop on human trafficking. It'll start today, last through Wednesday, October 29th through, or 23rd through the 25th at Harrigan Centennial Hall. Also, registration for after-school explorers for first graders is now open at recreation at cityofsitka.com. This is Morning Edition. 